0: Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Come on, church. Come on, church. Y'all get a little clap of praise in the room right now, y'all. Come on. slide this over nice and gently. Those of you guys online, y'all give the Lord a clap of praise in your living room right now, where you're at, in your car, wherever it is at right now. Give the Lord a clap of praise. God, you are good, man. We serve an incredible God. Would you agree, church? Come on, church. Would you agree? Come on, y'all. Know The louder, the quicker, the more you talk, the faster I preach. Come on, somebody. All right. So we've been in a series uh, the last couple weeks called Don't Drink the Poison. Last week, uh, Pastor Kim actually preached it via uh, video message. We came up here, recorded it, man. It was a powerful message. If you missed it, you definitely want to go back and check it out. You can go to thejourneychurch.cc and it's all right there for you. But I'm going to do a quick flyover uh, of our series uh, just the last two weeks. I'm going to do a quick review. And so we've been talking about poison. We've been talking really about offense and how offense is. Uh, is a lot like the poison, right? The poison that looks pretty, it looks, actually this doesn't look pretty at all whatsoever, but it looks uh, uh, tempting in the glass, right? A glass of poison, it looks tempting. And what a fence does is, is a fence will poison us from the inside out. We've been talking about that the last couple weeks. A fence, what poison does is it kills you from the inside out. And there's two stages to a fence, and this is important to remember there's two stages of the offense. You see, first of all, there's the, the stage of feeling offended. Everybody say, feeling offended. Yeah. Yeah. There you go, say it online, feeling offended. There's the stage of feeling offended. That is this that every single one of us, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to at some point in your life come across a situation where you're going to feel offended. Maybe your spouse says something to you. Maybe your coworker walks right by you. Maybe the pastor, in the middle of getting ready for service, doesn't say hi to you when you walk in. Something is going to happen that's going to cause you to feel a certain way. You're going to get, you're going to feel uh, the feeling of offense. That's stage one. Now, feeling offended though, church, and actually living offended are two different things. Everybody, every one of us, at some point, we're going to feel offended. But everybody else makes a choice all of us have a choice of whether or not we're going to live offended. And that's the difference. You know Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 verse one, he said that he said to his disciples, "It is impossible that no offense shall come, but woe to him through, they come, through who they do come." You see, offense is real, and offense is coming, but whether or not we choose to live an offense is going to be up to us. That was week one. Week two, Pastor Kim went on. She talked about how offense is tied to expectation. Offense is tied to expectations. Now, there are three types of expectations that are a breeding ground for poison. Anybody ever been in a relationship? Go ahead, let me see your hands. Y'all throw some hands up online. You've been in a relationship. Every one of us has been in a relationship at some point. Either you were a kid or you are a kid or you're a parent or something, right? You've been in a relationship. And no doubt if you've been in a relationship that you know that expectations has a lot to do with how that relationship functions. So there are three expectations. There are three expectations that are the breeding ground for offense, for poison. The first one is unspoken expectations. Unspoken expectations. Now, you know, we're not mind readers, right? No one in here can read minds. What do you say, church? No one in here can read minds, right? No one can read minds. But yet we relate to people sometimes as if they could. Right? We relate to people sometimes if they could. We, we, we think that someone should know how to do X, Y, and Z. We think that someone should know how to respond to something that I do, but we never speak it out. And, and when someone doesn't meet an expectation, it's a breeding ground for fits, especially when that's unspoken. Especially when that's unspoken. The second type of expectations are unmet expectations. Those are the ones that you communicate, you share with somebody and they fail to do them, right? Like when my spouse leaves and she goes to the beach and she wants to have fun at the beach and she tells me before she leaves, hey, can you make sure you throw a load of the clothes in the wash? She spoke her expectations out, but when she gets home and she finds out that I did not throw a load in the wash, there is a opportunity right there for her to take the feelings of offense and begin to live in offense. She has a choice in that moment whether or not she's going to drink the poison. Or not. Unspoken expectations, unmet expectations. Here's another one. Unrealistic expectations. How many of you guys have unrealistic expectations about certain things in your life? Anybody in here? I do. I feel like I should go to the gym once, I should lose all my weight, come out with a six pack. Anybody else feel the same? Oh, the church has come awake right now. Okay. It is true. Like I have unrealistic expectations. I'm gonna eat healthy for one day, get six packs, you know? But how many unrealistic expectations are a breeding ground for offense? It's a breeding ground for offense. Tonight, we're going to spend just a few more moments right now talking about an Old Testament man who experiences offense and how his decision would cause, uh, would cause others to be offended some 800 years later. Did you know that offense can time travel, y'all? It can go through time, Right? And this man that we're going to talk about made a decision that would lead to people being a femme named Naaman. Y'all say Naaman for me. Naaman, Naaman, right. We're talking about a man named Naaman. Naaman was a top general in the Syrian army. Now, the Syrians were a group of people who lived in the And one of the greatest generals that the Syrian army had was a man named named Naaman. Say Naaman. Naaman was a man named Naaman. (laughs) That's a tongue twister, isn't it? A man named Naaman. All right. And so Israel's struggle throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, Israel's struggle was this, right? They, they would get a promise for God. They would disobey God. They would rebel against God. They would sin. Sin has a consequence. Y'all know what the consequence of sin is? Somebody tell me. Yeah. Death. The sin, death is always a consequence of sin, right? So Israel rebelled against God and his promise. They sinned. Death began to follow them. They cried out to God. God saved them. And you would think that they would learn their lesson. But no, they didn't, just like us. And they find themselves in a cycle over and over and over and over again, right? And so now they they found themselves in the land that was promised to them, but the land isn't flowing with milk and honey like it was at one point. Now it's, it's a land of famine. Sin is set in. And God has raised up this guy named Elisha to be a prophet, to be a mouthpiece for him to Israel. So he's helping Israel understand why they're in the mess that they're in. And here's the story picks up. So during this time of famine in this land, Sir, the Syrian army continually raided the Israelites. They would go in and they would plunder their, their, their possessions. Now it's famine in the land, so, the, so the, the, the strongest is surviving, right? So they go in, they take from the weakest, and they, they keep for themselves, and they continue to live. So they were raiding Israel constantly. And, and the story of Naaman picks up right here. Because it's a, an incredible story of God's grace on display in the Old Testament. On the Old Testament. So, they raid Israel, the Syrian army. They raid Israel. And one of the raids that they did, they capture your head, y'all. Because there are all sorts of practices and all sorts of things that take place in the Old Testament that you're like, we are civilized now. I don't think that applies. Would you agree? Like, going into a certain area and taking all the young virgins away from their families and taking them as, as servants or wives or concubines or whatever they want to do. So there's this young girl that was captured, taken away from Israel, and she was given to Naaman, and Naaman gave her to his wife, and she became the maid to Naaman's wife. Now, Naaman goes on, and he's fighting these battles, but something happens in Naaman's life that begins to shift everything. Have you ever had a moment where you think things are going really good, and something happens, and it shifts your entire perspective on life? This is what happened with Naaman. So Naaman's a general. He's doing great. He's living the high life. And all of a sudden, he starts getting these things above his eyes, these little sores above his eyes. And he can't figure out because it looks like a really bad pimple, but it's not a really bad pimple. You ever have a really bad pimple in your eyes? And they hurt, don't they? It looks like a really bad pimple, but it's not a bad pimple. And then he starts looking at his palms, and he realizes that his palms are starting to scab up really bad. And it doesn't take long for him to begin to realize that that he has a disease, a disease that is going to lead him to misery. And that disease is leprosy. And usually leprosy, it's a disease where literally it's a bacteria that rots your flesh off your body. Yeah, it's nasty. And it starts on your eyes and your palms. And so now you've got to think, Naaman's thinking to himself, I, 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 I'm living a good life. I have everything that I have. I have everything I need. And all of a sudden, it's getting ready to all be taken away from me. <clears throat> Here's where the story gets pretty interesting. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 3, this is what it says. It says, one day, y'all say one day. One day. It let's me know you're here. One day, the girl, this is the, the, this girl that was kidnapped from Israel, brought into Naaman's house. It says, one day, the girl said to her mistress, Naaman's wife. And she says, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria and he would heal him of his leprosy. Do you understand how big of, a, how big of a, a deal that scripture is right there? You know, if you were kidnapped and you were taken away from your family and you were made to be a maid or a servant and you realize your master's about to die, do you think the first thing on your, on your mind is going to be, man, he really should go see the prophet so he can get healed of the stuff that he's dealing with? I don't think many of us would have that thought process. That's why many of us would not make good gods. Amen? Because everybody be done. But here this this girl, she says, I I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria and he would heal him of leprosy. This is incredible because her faith in God is put on display. And her choice to respond in faith instead of offense, y'all remember, Living in offense is where we struggle. Her choice to respond in faith instead of living in offense would place her story, this story, right now, name and story, on the lips of Jesus 800 years later. Yeah. I want you to get how big of a deal this. It Maybe it's not hitting you like it hit me. It hit me today. I was sitting there meditating on it. Man, that's a big deal. Yeah. Her choice to step out in faith and say, what's good for this guy? would lead her story to be on the lips of Jesus 800 years later. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. So let's continue. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10 says, But Elijah sent a messenger. Y'all say messenger. messenger. But Elijah sent a messenger out to him with a message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. You ever seen anybody become angry and stalk away? Every time I tell my kids to clean their rooms, they become angry and they stalk away. And he says, and I, he goes on to say, I thought, I thought he would. What do y'all see in that? I thought he would. I thought he would. What did he have that was not being met? He had expectations that were not being met. Remember, I told you, Pastor Kim preached on last week. Expectations could be the breeding ground for offense. He says, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand <laughs> over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. He said, aren't there rivers? He said, aren't there rivers of Damascus? The Abana and the Fafar, maybe? (laughs) Fafar. 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 There you go, Fafar. Fafar. Aren't these rivers (laughs) better than any of the rivers in Israel? So why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And so Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. I want you to see this. So Naaman makes the trip. Elijah's house now remember Syria, the Syrian army have been conquering Israel the Israelites they've been plundering them. they've been raiding the Israelites so you know already that the Syrians have a a higher view of themselves than they do of the Israelites they have no respect for the Israelites they are better than the Israelites and yet Naaman he shows up to Elijah's house and Elijah doesn't even answer the door y'all he sends his servant Gehazi to the door and can you imagine being Naaman, where in that moment your pride starts bubbling up? Like, doesn't he know that I can wipe this entire house out? And doesn't Naaman know that's not going to happen? Do you realize that's what he's probably thinking? Doesn't he? He doesn't have the, the decency to meet me. I spared his house last time we came through here. Maybe. This is a prime opportunity for offense. But what he says next, what Gehazi says next, it's really what began to set Naaman off. He says, go wash yourself in the Jordan River. Now, we think now today, like that's perfect. That would be like the perfect experience to get baptized in the Jordan River. Because that's where Jesus got baptized. He got baptized in the Jordan River. And here Naaman is saying, yeah, the Jordan is polluted. It's nasty. The equivalent would be this, the James River. Six months out of the year. Now, I grew up in this area. I grew up fishing in the James River. I grew up eating fish out of the James River. It's probably what's wrong with me right now. But, listen, my kids love going down to the beach, down here at Hilton Elementary. go down to the beach, and and they would get in the water, and they would dunk their heads in the water, and then all of a sudden they put these signs that says, you could die if you swim here. And it's like, it says there's unhealthy bacteria in the James River. It's a dirty river right now. Six months out of the year. Could you imagine? Like, could you imagine if you wanted, you wanted to get healed? You, wanted to, you needed to be healed. And, and you came to me, your pastor. You said, I need to be healed. And your pastor looked at you with loving eyes and says, go dip in the James River seven times. You're like, what? I dip in seven times. I'm going to come out green and glowing. And he's furious with this, right? There's all these great rivers. And you want me to go dip in the dirtiest river of them all? Naaman, he becomes angry, he he stalks away, he had expectations, expectations that were not being met, and it poured for him a big glass of poison. Naaman went to Elijah's house to be healed, and he walked away from Elijah's house toasting a big glass of poison. I want to spend the next few moments just giving you a couple of things that being drawn into a fence will do to us. So we're going to kind of pick it apart using Naaman's story. Number one, this: if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, being drawn into a fence will distract you from what's most important in your life. What was the most important thing for Naaman? To be what? Come on, church, to be what? To be healed. To be healed. That was the most important thing for Naaman. And yet he became offended in that moment. He didn't just feel offended. He chose to live offended in that moment. And when you choose to live offended, you can no longer see what are the most important things in your life. Naaman was packing up. Naaman was walking back home. Walking back home, I'm going to rot the rest of his life away. You see, being drawn into a fence will keep you distracted from what's most important in your life. It happens all the time. My wife and I, we've been together. This coming September will be 24 years, 23 years, 23. It'd be 23 years that we got together. We got together when we were young, y'all, like real young. Like I was 16, she was 14. But this coming August, we will have been married for 18 years. 18 years I knew that 18 years I did there's so many numbers going around in my head right now but but 18 years we've been married and and do you know that there have been times in our lives where we didn't get along I know it's hard to believe I know we're the perfect couple understand the crazy cycle is it's the crazy cycle you know, where, where she doesn't get the love that she desires, and so she doesn't give me the respect that I desire. And I don't, because I don't get the respect I desire, she doesn't get the love that she desires. And we find ourselves on the crazy cycle, standing back to back with our arms full going, no, you move. No, you move. Yeah. That is choosing to drink the poison of offense. And you know what it does? It gets us so focused on what doesn't matter. It gets us focused on the small things that we don't see what the most important thing in our life is. For us in our marriage, it was our relationship because, well, we do well together. We need each other. Our kids need healthy moms and dads, right? That's what's important. When we get drawn into offense, we get distracted from what's most important in our lives. Being in any type of relationship in this, any type of relationship will lead you to being offended. It can lead you to that place where you are taking your eyes off of what's most important. I mean, all sorts of things like going into ministry. I had this idea when I was young and I came out of school, high school, and I was like, I'm called to, to do ministry. I'm called to serve in, in, in church. And I thought everything was going to be sunshine and rainbows. And I realized, man, there have been more opportunities of me since in the last 20 years serving a minute. I have not just drank a glass of poison that time, y'all. I have beer bonged the poison. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like I have taken it down. Some of y'all just got offended by that. Don't don't choose to live there. Don't choose to live there. <laughs> and it, it distracts me on what's most important. Some of y'all are like, he just said beer bong. All right. Number two. Number two. So number one is being drawn into offense will keep you or will distract you from what's most important to your life. Number two, being drawn into offense is a trap of the enemy. Now we talked a little bit about this in week one in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, where Jesus said, It's impossible for no offense to come. That word offense right there is the Greek word scandalon. It means a trap right? It's a trap. It keeps you locked down. In, in 2009, we, my wife and I, we moved into this house over here, actually, surprisingly, over in Hilton, uh, a couple of streets, on the same street I grew up in. And we lived there a very short period of time, but it was an older house. Like, like a lot of the houses in this area are, they're pretty old houses. And, and I remember during the winter time, we had visitors. We didn't want visitors, but we had visitors. And those visitors were mice. Oh, yeah. yeah, they were mice. And because we had a two-year-old son, we didn't want the big snap traps. You know, those those things can be bad if your kid finds those, right? Snap traps, right? And so what I started doing, I started getting these glue traps, because they're more humane. And so I got these glue traps, and, and they would catch these mice no problem. Like all the time, except for this one mice. There, there's this one mouse and, and his name was Mighty Mouse. And it seemed like we could never catch them. This is the God honest truth. I would set the, the, the uh, sticky trap, I got up, and I would go down. And this happened night after night. The trap was gone. <laughs> Y'all listen. The trap, and listen, I didn't use the little mouse. Tra- Eventually, I looked underneath the stove in my, my kitchen. And it was so dirty underneath my stove. That the mouse would drag the trap over there, and he would get the dirt on the trap, and he would pull himself off the trap. Yeah, but a fence works like a trap, like they it keeps you stuck, right? It keeps you you stuck. John ten ten says this. It says the thief. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So number two, offense, being drawn into offense is is a trap. Number three, being drawn into an offense causes people to miss out on God's plan for their lives. This is so incredibly important. It will cause us to miss out on God's plans for our lives. Did you know that God's plan for Naaman was to be healed? Would you you agree with that? That was the plan for God for Naaman. God's plan for Naaman was to be healed. And so Naaman arrives to Elijah's house, hears something he doesn't like to hear, and begins to walk on back to Syria to rot the rest of his life away. Do you know that God has lots of things he has for us, but whether or not we experience them in life has to do with us? Do you understand? God, God doesn't... That doesn't control everything in the world in such a way that he makes you do all, he controls every little action in the world, some people believe that, some people believe that everything and anything that happens in life happens because God allows it, but if that were the case, God could not be the very definition of love, which he is, God is love, and if everything that happened in life happened because God allowed it to happen that way, God wanted it to happen that way, God would be worse than Hitler, worse than Stalin, worse than any other dictator that you, you can think of worse than them all You see, God works in step with humanity. God has always worked in step with humanity from the very beginning in the garden. God worked with humanity. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He said to Adam and Eve in the garden, what? Take care of the garden. Tend the trees. Do you get that? He said, you tend the trees. Now, Adam and Eve, they sinned. Did God make Adam and Eve sin? The answer to that question is no. But they chose. Now, what God does do that's so incredible it's God's always trying to figure out and always working a way to turn things around for our good. Because that's just how good he is. Remember, God is not like you and I. Come on, somebody. We write somebody off. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me three times, punch you in the throat, right? But God's not like us. He's not like us. And so God's desire was for Naaman to be healed But Naaman could have walked right out of God's plan. Because God is a perfect gentleman. He could have walked right out of God's plan. Walked all the way back to his house. And routed the rest of his life away. But he makes a decision that flips the script. Something else I want to tell you about offense. Number four, offense is transferable from one person to another. Did you hear me, church? Offense is transferable from one person to the other. When we decide to live in offense, we own that offense. And do you know what begins to come out of our mouth? Offense. Do you know what comes out of our actions? Offense. Offense is transferable. Much like faith is transferable. Encouragement is transferable. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says this. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts what, church? Good Good character. For bad company will corrupt good character. Bad company. Those who are choosing to live in offense will cause others to stumble. Pick up the glass of poison and slam it back and live in an offense. Misery loves what, church? Y'all know it. Beware of, uh, of people who are poisoned. Be- beware of this. They talk, they rehash, they vomit all over you. You have, some, you have someone shaping your view of someone else. One of the best things that we can do is, is find out who somebody is on our own. It's, it's find out who somebody is by getting to know them and not just listening to somebody. Well, watch out for so and so. You got to watch out for so and so. You begin to transfer your offense, you begin to shape that person's view of them. There's no better example of, of offense being transferred than when Pilate stood Jesus before all of Israel and he said to them, This, what would you have me do with this man Jesus? And the crowd yelled out in unison, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. The same group who a week earlier cried out, Hosanna, just a week later, After hearing the the Pharisees say, this isn't the one. See, this isn't the one. If he was the Messiah, see, if he was the Messiah, he wouldn't have been brought up on charges. If he was the Messiah, he he wouldn't be beaten. If he was the Messiah, he wouldn't be on trial. You see, this isn't the Messiah. And their offense was transferred. And when Pilate said, what do you want me to do with this man, Jesus? They yelled out, crucify him. So offense can be transferred. Number four. But again, just as offense is transferable, so is encouragement, so is faith. Let's go back to 2 Kings real quick as we get ready to wrap up. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13 through 14, and it says this. Verse 13 says, but his officers tried to reason with him. Now, now, Naaman had surrounded himself with some good people. How many of you need to surround yourself with some good people? Do you agree with that, church? You need people in your camp who can speak life over you. You need people in your camp who can tell you what you need to hear, not always what you want to hear. You need people in your camp who are going to help hold you accountable because they believe the best in you. They believe that you can be better than what you are. You need to surround yourself with people like that, people who are smarter than you. If you are the smartest person in your camp, get new people. Second Kings chapter five, verse 13 and 14, it says, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, sir, if the prophet had told you, look what they said. This is so good. Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, like rub your tummy and pat your head, (laughs) he said, you would have done it. He says you would have done it. So you should certainly obey him when he simply says, go wash your and be cured, like, like and check it out, like, he didn't ask you to do something crazy hard, like, he didn't, he didn't say, if you would sow your best seed of $1,000, you can be healed today, he didn't do that, he didn't say, if you give $10,000 to this ministry right now, we'll give you some little bottle of uh, uh, water, and you can mix it with your coffee, and you'll be healed, he didn't say anything like that, he didn't say, spend the rest of your life doing X, Y, Z, he said, listen, go dip in the James River, you'll be healed. Some of you are like, no, it's the Jordan River. I know, but it was a joke earlier. It's okay. And verse 14, it says, and so Naaman went down to the river and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. He had some good people around him. Yeah. He had some good people around him who began to encourage him. And you know what happened? Just like offenses, transferable, uh, encouraging. And Naaman decided to follow through because Naaman decided to follow through with, listen to me, church, with what was already promised to him. Yep. Right. You see, him dipping in the, in the river didn't make God heal him. Right. God had determined him to be healed. And it would be him dipping in the river that would allow him to receive from God what he had already promised him. The same thing works. This is New Testament grace in action. In the old, it's so incredible, right? Because the same thing applies to us today. We aren't doing things to try to get God to do something for us. We are positioning ourselves. We are humbling ourselves. We are elevating our hearts above our heads so that we can walk into the very things that God has already promised us. This could have ended very badly for Naaman. Naaman could have transferred his offense to his team. Think about that. Naaman could have walked away, and he's a man of influence. He's a man who has like, one of the highest positions in the country. And he could have literally have walked away and said, you know what? That Israelite, you know what? they're like? I'm going to take care of all the world, wipe them out. And you know what they would have done? They would have said, yeah, we need to wipe them out. We need to go ahead and take them all out. I hate Israelites. I hate all Israelites because X, Y, and Z. Do you see how that begins to happen? We see that even in families now when we talk about racism and things like that. Offense is transferable. You know, racism is not something someone's born with. It's something it's taught racism is a fence transferred and he could have poured that poison split them all up and they would have been drinking However, again, Naaman had great people surrounding him, people who knew the importance of not drinking this poison, people who were able to keep their eyes on what was most important and what was most important for Naaman church to be healed. Remember I told you, as we're wrapping up, I told you this story travels through time. This willingness travels through time, this humility travels through time. And here you go, 800 years later, And this man named Jesus shows up on the scene and he goes into the temple and he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read out, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and set the captives free and restore sight to the blind and proclaim the acceptable year of the favor of God, right? And he walks out of the temple and they're they're all anxious. The the religious leaders, they're all anxious. They're all frustrated with him. And Jesus makes a statement right here. And they're frustrated for this reason, because this message of setting the captives free and restoring sight to the blind and, and healing, that wasn't just made as a proclamation for only the Jews, it was for the world. It was for everybody. And they get offended. And look what Jesus says in Luke chapter four, verse 27. It says, and many and many, y'all say many, He says, and many in this time in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elijah. He said, but only one was healed. But only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. This one moment became an offense to all the Jewish religious people of that time. You know what, you go on and read the rest of the story over there in Luke chapter four, you know what happens? They get so mad that they push Jesus up onto a cliff and they're getting ready to try to throw him over to kill him. Because how dare he say God loves more than just the Jews? How dare he say that? And Jesus' boss moves him. And it says and he just slips right through them and walks away. When you, when you choose to pour out the poison instead of drinking it, when you choose to pour it out, no longer, it's no longer drinkable. It loses its power over your life. When we choose to forgive those who have offended us, that offense loses power over your life. I'm a, I'm a control freak. Y'all know there, I am. I, I, there are things about my life that I want to control, like all of it, right? And I realize this, that no matter how much I think I'm in control, if I've allowed offense to set up in my heart, if I have taken a big swallow of this poison, if I chug this whole thing down, do you know that I am no longer in that moment in control of my life, but I'm allowing myself to serve offense? It becomes my master. And my whole life gets short-circuited. But when I choose to forgive, when I choose to let something go, and I choose to say, you know what, I'm I'm making an active decision right now to release them, to release them of this offense. It loses its power over you. And what happens is is we begin to place or we place ourselves in a place where we can receive the forgiveness of God. We receive the forgiveness of God. Notice, I didn't say that God then forgives you, because you've been forgiven, church. Your sins, Jesus became how many sins did he become all of them your past sins your current struggles your future struggles he became all of them you've been forgiven but when we choose to forgive others we open ourselves up to receive his forgiveness do you see that And the more I live a life of choosing to forgive, the more I live a life of choosing not to take offense, the more I live a life of recognizing, wow, that's an offensive thing right there. Let me go ahead and just pour this thing out. The more I live that way, the more I'm receiving from God His grace, His mercy, His love, His forgiveness, the more I'm able to receive. Sometimes, last thoughts, sometimes... Your ability to pour out the poison will become the very poison for someone else. Naaman poured it out. 800 years later, the Jews poured it in. The Jewish religious religious leaders poured it in. So let me run through these five things real quick. Five things offense does. Being drawn into offense will keep you or will distract you from what's most important. Number two is being drawn into offense will trap will be as a trap of the enemy. Number three, being drawn into offense causes people to miss out on God's plans for their lives. Number four, offense is transferable from one person to another. And number five, when you pour out the poison, it's no longer drinkable. Do me a favor, church. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, right where you're at? Even those who are watching online right now, would just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to pray for you. And in just a second, I'm going to read this. In Proverbs 19, 11, it says, A person's wisdom yields patience, and it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Let me pray for you, church. Father, I pray right now for every person in this room, Lord, every person who's watching online. Lord, I pray right now that, God, you would just bring to light these moments, these things that we've latched a hold of, Father, these glasses of poison that we've picked up. Father, help us to identify which ones we need to pour out, God. Help us to see who we need to forgive, Lord. And, Father, I'll just pray right now in the name of Jesus that your love would just be tangible. They would experience your love tangibly, Lord, right now, no matter where they're at, if they're at work, in their car, at home, and here in this room. We would just experience your love tangibly right now. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your goodness. And we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. Thank you again for tuning in to our live stream. Go ahead and share the video if you think this is going to help somebody else. And we will catch you guys here next week at the same time.